Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to The Moon Underwater, where this hallowed pub is hosting a very special guest. It's comedian Dave Gorman, and he joins us with a superb selection so far of Guinness unadulterated, mulled wine all year round, the family coppola Archimedes red wine, and any Vonnier. I always call it Vonnier, and you've pronounced it correctly, and now it's... How is it again? Vionier. Viognier. Maybe you're right and I'm wrong. I don't know. I've just always called it Viognier. No, because I immediately checked on the spelling and you're absolutely bang on. Viognier. Viognier. Yeah. So anyway, we're, (laughs) we're, we're splitting hairs. And also in Dave Gorman's pub is a sommelier, but not any sommelier. The owner of an Indian restaurant that Dave found in a blizzard, who was very kind towards a family who pronounced their T's when perhaps they should have left them softer. But before we get back to Dave's Dream Pub, we need the answers to the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Robin. Thanks, John. Yes, and this week's Moon Underwater Pub Quiz was all about the Google Doodles and what doodle represented which musical figure, if that sentence makes sense. So question one was, um, on May the 13th, 2012, the Doodle team created a fully playable and recordable Google logo synthesizer. But the, the doodle was created to celebrate the birthday of which electronic music pioneer? So, Dave, what are you saying? My guess would be uh, Jean-Michel Jarre. It's a, it's a terrific guess. John, what do you think? I've got nothing for that, I'm afraid. Nothing. It was Robert Moog, or Moog, the inventor of the Moog synthesizer. Hmm. It, was a, it was really good. Do you remember it? No. It was okay. A, you're talking about a Google doodle that was, what, how many years ago? 10 years ago. Yes, of course, no one remembers it. I like the fact that you said Robert Moog or Moog, the inventor of the Moog synthesizer. I know. If if we're calling it a Moog synthesizer, let's just commit to him being Moog and not Moog. Well, people, there's debate about whether it's a Moog or a Moog. I I mean, I I should have said Robert Moog or Moog, inventor of the Moog or Moog synthesizer, but I I didn't want to double Moog or Moog. I think you should have double moved on. I should have. Personally. I should have double. I should have. You're, da- yeah. you're damn right. <laughs> Question two was which composer did the Doodle team celebrate 
um, on March 21st, 2019, when they created a doodle that used artificial intelligence to make music. Uh, when a button was pressed, the doodle used machine learning to harmonize a user-created melody into the composer's signature musical style. So, Dave. Well, I, I sort of had a guess for this, but then in, in the first part, you then, just at the end, went, that's from the classical world, and that's thrown my guess a loop, because I was going to say Brian Eno. Oh, that's a lovely guess. Yeah, a bit like the blue map. Do, I don't know if you remember that. That was yeah. a, an Eno thing. Um, no, sadly not Eno, but any guesses from the classical world? Uh, really, no. I, okay. I'm very, very not educated in that world. Okay. Uh, John? I, I've got no, Oh, I wrote John Cage, but then I thought that was ridiculous because he doesn't really have a signature style. But no. It was, it was Bach. Ah. Johann Sebastian. Yeah. So I was thinking it was more about the artificial intelligence mm. than his signature style. I think it's... Uh, well, I think the thing with Bach is he appeals a lot to scientists because of the structure and the formalism of his work in, in ways that I don't really understand. So I think it kind of would lend itself to that kind of AI, maybe. I did meet... I met Brian Eno once. Wow. Um, on a radio show. So, and forgive me, there's going to be two name drops in this story, maybe even three. Many years ago, I used to write on the Mrs. Merton show with Caroline Ahern. And when Caroline moved down to London, she moved into this lovely little house and her next door neighbours on either side were Jason Donovan and Brian Eno. <laughs> wow. I know. So and she was halfway through the spectrum of music. Exactly. Yeah. It's sort of a weird place to live. And she was very worried that living next door to musicians was going to make it very loud for her. Uh, <laughs> and worried about them recording at home or whatever. So years later, I met Brian Eno on a radio show. And I just said, so, oh, by the way, you used to live next door to Carolina Hearn, didn't you? This is a bit weird. She told me about it and she said she was really worried about the noise. And he said, well, what I did, because she talked to me about it, is I put a button in her house. And I did have a recording studio there and I used to make noise. And I said to her, if it's ever too loud, you don't have to call me. You don't have to knock on the wall. You don't have to ask me to turn it down. You press that button and it will shut the power off in my studio. <gasps> and, and, and I will never be upset with you. It'll be absolutely fine. And I said, that's a brilliant idea. What a great psychological trick, because nobody could ever press that button. Yes. Knowing you're recording and it's your job. But you've given them agency, and having agency will mean, I can hear that, but it's all right. I can turn it off if I want. I'm in charge. Mm. What a brilliant idea. And he went, no, no, it worked. It was a real button. And it wasn't just a psychological trick. So Brian Eno gave Carolina Hearn the power to shut him down. That's amazing. And did did you know if she ever used that power? I don't believe she ever did. Oh, that's so that's so nice. It's it reminds me of the sort of um, it's such perfect example of fairness. It's a bit like but when when I was a kid, if me and my sister were sharing a Mars bar or whatever, my mum would say, "One of you cut and one of you choose." It's the perfect system. It isn't. It isn't. You're so wrong there. It's a very (laughs) flawed system. All parents say that. And if you're one of the kids, you say, okay, you cut and I'll choose. Yeah. Because there's two options here. Either the person cuts them absolutely perfectly, in which case it doesn't matter. Yeah. Or, which is much more likely, nobody can break a Mars bar completely perfectly. So one of them will be bigger than the other. Right. And the person doing the choosing always gets the bigger one. 
Oh, I've been a fool. The person who does the breaking, <laughs> the cutting, has been conned in that system, John Robbins. Have they now? No wonder I've never tasted a Mars bar. Yeah. <laughs> your, your Eno story reminds me, I heard a story about Kevin Shields from My Bloody Valentine, which was that he had um, a pedal on his pedal board that would tell his sound man, or monitor man, I guess, it would just send a light to the monitor man to say that something was wrong. Nice. Just something. It wouldn't define what it was. Just that something was wrong. That's the kind of uh, the kind of more malicious version of the Eno button, I think. <laughs> well, I suppose if he, if it was meant to tell him a particular thing was wrong, he'd have to yeah. have like twelve different pedals to communicate all the many things he might require help with. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, we must return to the answers to the pub quiz because. Robin, the final question does rely on us knowing which musician was born on September the 5th, 1945. 46. 46. My apologies. Yeah, so, um, Dave, what are you saying? <sighs> we know he's dead, or they are dead. He's dead. From the fact I say would have been his 65th yeah. birthday. Yeah, I mean, if I, I know it won't be, but I'm just going to have to pluck Ian Dury. Okay, nice. But I feel okay, yeah. I feel like I'm out by a good few years there. Reasons to be cheerful. Uh, John, what are you saying? So, what is I I have born in forty six. Uh, I had no idea. Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! Freddie Mercury. Oh. Oh, John, <laughs> that's got to hurt. Uh, do you know it doesn't because it's <laughs> so. I mean, it's just very hard. <laughs> should i have said the nationality or something like that or rock musician or how could i have made it easier for you oh completely different quiz completely different (laughs) completely different concept for a quiz so that's no points no points scored no um well you know i'd love it (laughs) imagine if in in the pub the quiz master started going, how, how could I have done it differently? What could I have, what could I have changed? Please like me. <laughs> but very well done if you got them at home. I didn't think it was that hard. I don't think you, I, I don't think you understand what hard means. <laughs> one, one of them involved remembering a Google Doodle from 10 years ago. But I, 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 I remember it. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. my, it's like... my empirical... Evidence of one. It's like me saying as a pub quiz, what did I do on the 6th of June, 1989? <laughs> I was there. Where were you? Uh, but that's why we love the pub quizzes, man. Yeah. Because yep. they're only easy if you know them, and they're only hard if you don't. True. Uh, but we return to Dave Gorman's dream pub, and we're on to the world of spirits, Dave. Two spirits, please. Well, I've got to have a rum. Yes. Um, because... That remains my my first choice drink from my teenage years right the way through to now. For many years, I would have had Mount Gay as my favourite of the kind of sometimes available in pub rums. But I think this might be my own taste becoming even more childish. Uh, But I've kind of moved to Kraken rum, which is a very dark, chocolatey, molasses flavour of rum. It's a spiced rum, isn't it, Kraken? And it's got a slight... My memory of it, because I used to be a big rum drinker to the extent at which I no longer drink rum, Kraken's got a slight clovey taste. Yes, it has. Yeah, yeah. When you say spiced rum, I think it is technically a spiced rum, but when I picture a spiced rum, they're normally that kind of 
uh, amber colour. Yeah. And they're, I think, often lacking a bit of authenticity. There's, You can whack some herbs and aromatics into some cheap rum in a in an industrial estate in Bedford and put a picture of somebody with a tattoo on the bottle (laughs) and try and launch a brand of spiced rum. And it feels like it's detached from the authentic origin of rum to me. Can I recommend you a rum you may have tried? It's called Dark Matter. And it comes in what looks like a looks like something off the periodic table, uh, but it's a Scottish dark rum. Okay. And it's it's a lovely bottle. It's about 29 quid, so it's sort of slightly above your Captain Morgan's level. Yeah, yeah. But I had it one year in Edinburgh at the festival, and I've just got back from the festival, so it's sort of on my mind. Yeah. Um, but I think you'd like I think you'd like the label. It looks very it looks like a sort of uh, like you would see it on the wall in a chemist. Nice. I like the sound of it a lot. I've, I used to have, I no longer have, I used to have around between 20 and 30 rums on my kitchen table. Wow. Because it became that thing that people would buy me as a present. Yeah. Mm, and I couldn't drink it fast enough. Mm. And so there was always 20 bottles and sometimes 30 and I'd finish some. But every Christmas I'd get two or three bottles and people were seeking out the obscure ones to kind of turn it into a present. So I, I had a, a basically a bar that was just rum uh, and it was a source of great pleasure to me. It's like, a, you know, when people sort of buy a little, I don't know, a little porcelain owl or something and someone goes, oh, where'd you, where'd you get that? I just, I just liked it. And then for the rest of their life, they're the porcelain owl person and they end up with a house full of things that they didn't really want, but too polite to say, I just sort of bought a porcelain owl. Yeah, but rum was all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, rum, yeah. Rum was a really good answer to that problem. And are we talking a uh, mixer with with rum? I, I would normally have Coke. Um, although you, now you might persuade me back to Mount Gay here because a rum like Mount Gay or Myers or whatever, they mix really well in lots of different ways. So you could take most whiskey cocktails and replace them with a Myers rum and you get something very nice. I'm not sure Kraken is as versatile as that. But if you put, if you make like a, a, an old fashioned, mm. which I, I'm not quite sure everything's that's in an old fashioned, but it definitely involves some orange zest and stuff. Uh, and it's a whiskey cocktail. Making that, but replacing the whiskey with a nice, Delicate rum is a thing of beauty. The versatility of it is is maybe bringing me back to a, a bottle of Myers. A bottle of Myers. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to force you into a moment of crisis. Okay. Do you know for, for versatility, I'm gonna go Mount Gay rum mm. um, because it's good in cocktails. It's nice straight over some ice. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd really have Kraken straight. I'd only really have it with Coke. But Mount Gay, on the rocks, in an old-fashioned, with Coke, delicious. Okay, Mount Gay rum it is for the sheer versatility. Your second spirit, please. Uh, Gin. Uh, A kind of, I'm I'm thinking, a Plymouth gin. Ooh, Plymouth gin's got a really lovely bottle. And I think, I'm not a gin expert. I think an awful lot 
of it is about the bottle. Yes. And I think probably more than any other spirit, a lot of thought goes into the bottle of a gin. Yeah, no, I'm inclined to agree. And I think Plymouth gin is one of the best bottles. Yeah, I think that's what led me to it. I don't... I do drink gin occasionally, um, but I'm I'm picking it more. I mean, if I was being really selfish, I'd just have two different rums. I'd have my second spirit be Kraken to go with my first spirit of Mount Gay. But I'm trying to be generous to other people here. And amongst the people I like hanging out with, uh, which very much includes my wife, um, gin is a more popular choice. Rum has always been a slightly weird outsider choice, and I wouldn't want that to be the only thing available. So I, I think a nice gin, basically, with some fever tree tonic. Gotta be. I love how you can you've considered other people in this in your pub with your Guinness and gin choices. Well, here. what is a pub if it isn't a place for other people to hang out? Like, would you enjoy a pub if it was only full of you and people like you, or do you want some mixture, diversity, a bit of noise and hubbub and the sound of other people having fun? I'd, I'd like that to be there, or I won't be enjoying myself. Mm. To, to a degree, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a, there's a big difference between a pub that's just full of me and a pub that's full of people like me. I think a pub full of people like me, they'd all be very quiet, but I think there would be a lot of tension in the room. So, yes, I think you're right. You, 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 you do want to provide for others. Well, superb choices there for Dave Gorman's spirits, Mount Gay Rum and Plymouth Gin. But we must head over to the dusty, bookish zone of the uh, Moon Underwater for this week's entry into the pub library. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yes, thanks, John. It's uh, another entry into the pub library where I choose a book or poem or thing that um, relates to pubs. And this week it is one of my favourites, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, which I often fall asleep to. And I often start it and fall asleep to it very quickly because I know it so well. But this is one of my favourite scenes. It's from the start uh, where the world's about to end and Ford Prefect uh, takes Arthur Dent to his nearby pub to, they need to drink beer because it's a muscle relaxant because they're about to hitchhike onto a spaceship to avoid the fact that the world's about to be blown up. But it's a great scene. So let's give this a read. Six pints of bitter, said Ford Prefect to the barman of the horse and groom, and quickly, please, the world's about to end. The barman of the horse and groom didn't deserve this sort of treatment. He was a dignified old man. He pushed his glasses up his nose and blinked at Ford Prefect. Ford ignored him and stared out of the window, so the barman looked instead at Arthur, who shrugged helplessly and said nothing. So the barman said, Oh yes, sir, nice weather for it, and started pulling pints. He tried again. Going to watch the match this afternoon, then? Ford glanced round at him. No, no point, he said, and looked back out the window. What's that foregone conclusion, then, you reckon, sir? said the barman. Arsenal without a chance. No, no, said Ford, it's just that the world's about to end. Oh, yes, sir, so he said, said the barman, looking over his glasses, this time at Arthur. Lucky escape for Arsenal if it did. Ford looked back at him, genuinely surprised. No, not really, he said. He frowned. The barman breathed in heavily. There you are, sir, six pints, he said. 
Arthur smiled at him wanly and shrugged again. He turned and smiled wanly at the rest of the pub just in case any of them had heard what was going on. None of them had, and none of them could understand what he was smiling at them for. Ford slapped a five-pound note on the bar. He said, keep the change. What, from a fiver? Thank you, sir. You've got ten minutes left to spend it. The barman simply decided to walk away for a bit. (laughs) Ford, said Arthur, would you please tell me what the hell is going on? Drink up, said Ford. You've got three pints to get through. Three pints, said Arthur, at lunchtime. Time is an illusion, lunchtime doubly so. Drink up, the world's about to end. Arthur gave the rest of the pub another wan smile. The rest of the pub frowned at him. This must be Thursday, said Arthur, musing to himself, sinking low over his beer. I never could get the hang of Thursdays. Oh, lovely. (laughs) It's great. Such a great scene. I think it seems really, like, influential. The kind of dynamic of it feels like it's kind of in bottom or something like that. Or, you know, it's very sitcom-y. I always feel... um, like I've somehow let the side down by my first encounter with Hitchhikers being the TV show. Right, yeah. And the people who heard it on the radio before the TV are really smug, and the people who read the book before the TV are really smug. And I <laughs> I was young, and I saw it on telly, and it's sort of like I'm not one of the proper ones to can experience <laughs> it in the way that is approved by my social peers. Right. I, I think I first heard it on the radio repeated... A long time after it was first on, but I, I don't. Think, I've never seen the TV show. I loved the TV show. Yeah, but I feel like you're not supposed to say that. That you're meant to be an aficionado who received it another way, first of all, and sees the TV show as an acceptable compromise. But it's <laughs> it's the definitive version to me. I've never watched it or heard it, and I read the first few pages and just sort of gave up on it. So I really? feel like I feel like the the fool. I feel such a fool. It's so good. It's worth plus. I I go back to the first two a lot. I I, I think I've only read the the, uh, the there's five books, aren't there? Or I can't remember now. I think there's four in the trilogy, aren't there? And then yes, was there yeah. then a fifth? I think there's a fifth one called Mostly Harmless. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I sort of I love the first two. They're just so brilliant. The plotting is just brilliant. It's so funny as well. Well, we don't just have a library here in the Moon Underwater, Dave. We also have a jukebox and. You said earlier that you felt pretty out of place in the music rounds of the pub quiz, but what album would you most like to hear when you walk into your dream pub? Well, in my ideal pub, I don't think I would have a jukebox for a start. I I would not necessarily have music playing. The background I want is the hubbub of other people's conversation and liveliness and, you know, the sense that maybe someone finished playing a piano 20 minutes ago. (laughs) <laughs> and they're not about to start playing it now. That's my desired atmosphere in a pub. But there is a jukebox. I thought what I want to put on, if I'm going to put something on, is if I was going to see a live band in a pub, what would it be? And I didn't want to choose from sort of... like I grew up on Madness and Ian Jury and the specials and dex's midnight runners and i didn't want to just go to one of those things that i put on at home quite often i wanted something that if it came on when i was in the public oh i like this i've forgotten about this this is nice so i've gone for something which i think might be a bit obscure to some people now i've gone for the holloways and so this is great britain which had a kind of punky sort of indie vibe early 2000s i think 
the, the most famous song from it uh, was Generator, I think. I could get a record player and a generator, generate the music that makes you feel better. Kind of, it's a foot stompy kind of music. They were produced by Clive Langer and Alan Wynne Stanley, who were the producers of Madness in their pomp and in their heyday. And there's something of a kind of scar rhythm in some of it, but it's also a bit pub rock. And it makes me feel like I can feel some bouncy wooden floorboards beneath my feet. And I like that in a pub, I suppose. Brilliant. I like that there'll be someone listening just punching the air going, yes, someone (laughs) likes the Holloway, so this is Great Britain. (laughs) It's a great album. It's a very, very listenable album. I thought you were going to choose Ian Jury there because of your reasons to be cheerful show. but uh... I I love Ian Jury um, with all my heart, but I also, I listen to it all the time, and there's something, like a, a jukebox in a pub, if you have to have one, one of its charms ought to be in rewarding you with music you wouldn't normally listen to, stuff you wouldn't have chosen that is rewarding. It's sort of like going to a festival. You've gone to a festival and you find yourself watching a band you've never heard of and having a, an amazing time. Those bits are the gravy in life. That's, you know, oh, I want to see this headliner. I've got my own gig. I'm doing this. Wow, that was amazing. I would never have bought a ticket for that. Um, that's the stuff that I like to be surprised by. What a lovely way of putting it. That's the gravy of life. The unexpected treats. Oh, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Is that what people mean when they say it's all gravy? No, I think they mean it's all all, all right. Oh, okay. I don't, so many... I don't know. It depends on the context. They might just mean, that's a lot of gravy you've put on my roast. <laughs> I don't know. Have you been to that section of the... Uh... Roast dinner buffet. Yeah, it's all gravy. (laughs) (laughs) I can get a record player and a generator, generate the music that makes you feel better. So you've got one final choice. Well, I say you've got one final choice. You've got one final choice that could be drink orientated, but doesn't necessarily have to be. It's your wild card selection. Uh, so, what are you going to go for, Dave? It is. It is going to be drink related. Um, it's going to be pomaine. Pomaine. And I don't know if either of you are old enough to have any connection to pomaine in your lives. No. I'm. I'm thinking. I once got shouted at by a group of scaffolders when I walked. <laughs> to the pub in Bristol and they said you got enough pomade in your hair <laughs> and it was brutal in its simplicity but I th- is pomade something to do with pears? It's unconnected to pomade it, it's pomade and pomade was basically uh, a cider and I hate cider with every I cannot stand cider cider is the drink I have thrown up most often to when I was a In that sort of 13, 14, 15 years of age, cider was the drink that my mum would buy us to go to a house party in that kind of, if we know their parents and there's a bit of alcohol going on, we're fine. And we would get like a a litre bottle of woodpecker or strongbow or something. And so obviously a litre is too much. Obviously I was 14, I couldn't handle it. I've thrown up on it so much and the smell of cider can make me heave to this day. 
But I didn't realise pomaine was a cider. I was I only experienced pomaine before that when I was seven or eight, and it was it was the drink my parents would use for celebrations. Mm. It was amongst their social group, whatever. If there was any cause for a celebration, if it was New Year's Eve, it was Christmas. A bottle of pomaine came out, and it. I just thought, oh yeah, it's like cheap champagne, but it's basically a cider. But the bottle was designed to look like a champagne bottle. It had foil around the top. You took the yeah. foil out, and its cork was made of plastic. <laughs> I can still see the these white ribbed plastic corks, but they would pop out like a champagne cork pops out, and so they were the drink of celebration. And I don't know that anyone would ever order it in this pub, but just the nostalgia for those days when... This was the 70s. I imagine champagne was awfully expensive in the 70s. Prosecco had not yet had that marketing kick Mm. that it's had to kind of become a challenger to champagne. We didn't have a lot of alcohol in the house. We didn't have a lot of money in the family. But a bottle of pomaine was what you could buy to pretend you were having champagne and to have a celebration and make it go pop and fizz. And you'd pour a tiny little bit for the kids as well. And it's just tied up in so many happy memories. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. I suppose we're not a million miles away from baby sham Lambrini kind of stuff. Yeah, well. I think it's, it it's if you can imagine such a thing, an even more down market baby sham. <laughs> well, it's got an interesting history. Uh, so it was produced by Bulmers... Right. And first marketed in 1906 under the name Cider Deluxe. In 1916, (laughs) it was renamed Pomaine. Bulmers marketed Pomaine as Champagne Cider until Bollinger took it to court over the use of the term champagne in 1974. Bulmers won the case but stopped using the Method Champenoise in 1975. And in my mind, when I've looked it up, there's an old uh, advertising... Uh, sort of bit of bump from a newspaper. And it says, The House of Bulmer, famous the world over for ciders of quality, has now produced that delicious pomaine that has brought new delight to champagne and cider drinkers. There will be found in Bulmer's sparkling pomaine all the exhilarating and health-giving properties (laughs) which attract the champagne wines of Reim, their manufacture in each case being identical. (laughs) Wow. Even just the phrase, the house of Bulmer. <laughs> yeah. It's just so poetic and wonderful. You can't put Bulmer at the end of that. You understand why a, a winemaker calls himself the house of this, why high fashion calls itself the house of this, but the house of Bulmer, it's just, you, it comes in a different voice with a different accent and it does not belong <laughs> in the house of anything. That's so true. You do just imagine a guy in his house. Yeah. <laughs> This is the house of Thatcher's. <laughs> well, we now depart from our regular listeners, our Johnny Come Flyby Nightlies, to give a special treat to those people who subscribe on Patreon to help with the upkeep of this sensational tavern. And we're going to ask uh, Dave Gorman what his dream or who his dream pub companion will be. But for those of you who aren't heading over to moonunderpod.com to subscribe, we'll see you back very soon. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, we welcome back the Johnny-come-fly-be-nightlies. And what a fantastic choice uh, Dave Gorman's dream pub companion was. You're barred. But Dave, you also get to lay out the rules and regs of your pub. You've already banned um, adulterating Guinness. So we can't be adding champagne, Prosecco, bitter, if people, because some people might want to make a tan and black. Uh, you can't add uh, blackcurrant to your Guinness. But what, what are you banning from your dream pub? Um, I'm, I'm banning um, notefold cockery. Um, so... Um, you know when people go to the bar, yeah, and it's a crowded bar, oh. and they want to get the attention mm. of yeah. the staff, they fold a ten or twenty pound note and hold it between their index finger and their middle finger, like a shit magician, <laughs> folded lengthways, as if as if the bar staff think, oh, oh that person's got currency, as if they think yeah, that yeah. nobody else there has the means to pay and that that's going to get them to the front of the queue. And I think anyone doing that gets an automatic ban. That's such a good observation. And they hold it the way that you imagine Mae West might have held a cigarette in a cigarette <laughs> yeah. holder. Yeah. It's, it's a completely unnatural way to fold money. If it's in your <laughs> yeah. wallet, it folds the other way, doesn't it? You fold yeah. along the short axis, not along the long axis. That's how it lives in your wallet. To have got it out and folded it, to turn it into some kind of weird signal to people, that always, whatever the intent, has an arrogant, I'm literally showing off my money mm. to you. Well, also, it's like everyone here at the bar has the means to pay. So what's your boast? Exactly. What is your, what you're saying, you're better than these people because you're displaying your wealth. I wouldn't mind someone doing it with a pound, <laughs> <laughs> holding a coin between the... Uh, Index and first finger, going over here, I've, I've got a pound. I mean, there is generally a lot of bad behaviour goes on in, in trying to get served in a very crowded pub. 
And, and one of the things I would try and maintain in my ideal pub would be the ideal number of people. There's a, there's a number of people that makes a pub corret, that makes it function as a pub, that allows there to be an atmosphere, but allows people to get served in a reasonable time. Can't stand pubs on New Year's Eve, on Christmas Eve, on St Paddy's Day, or any of those occasions that mean they're rammed to the rafters. They're stressful, they're horrible, they involve a sense of maudlin and reflection that isn't helped with alcohol. I don't need any of those days. I want to just keep a certain number of people so that there's a flow and whatever. But no-fold cockery is... <laughs> it's a thin end of a wedge, but it's also the the most amazing thing a fellow human being can do for you in a pub is if they know that you got to the bar before them, mm. if they know that you were there when they arrived and the bar staff turns to them and says, what do you want? If they have the decency to go, oh, sorry, he was here before me. That is, that is the love of a, of a man for his fellow man, for a stranger. To show that, I think, is the highest form of etiquette. And I want to encourage that kind of behaviour and discourage the note-fold cockery. I take great pride in giving way at the bar. There is a codicil to that. Yeah. Where you've turned up really quite late to the bar. You, you know that you're 15, 16 people down in the queue. And then they come to you and you say, oh, sorry, he was here before me. You are then piggybacking on... So you've got the... Uh, a badge of decency, mm. but actually you get all of that acclaim and honour and a nod of approval from the person you've just yielded to and probably made yourself number two in the queue. Yeah. Yes. Could be used to devious ends, couldn't it? Yeah. A smart move, still to be discouraged. I, I would like there to be just decency all round. Well, I, I guess the, one of the many skills of being a fantastic member of bar staff is to sort of take a picture in your head yeah. every time you turn. But it's it's very tricky, especially when you're talking about like New Year's Eve or Christmas well, Eve. That's what, on those occasions, it's actually, I think it's, it's basically impossible. That's why I, I would want a pub that kind of just had regulated numbers so mm. that that was achievable. It makes it busy, but with good staff, you can keep it turning over at a good rate. And, and then there's an atmosphere and a mood of conviviality and no, no need for any sharp elbows or concern that other people are bullying you, getting in ahead of you. Remove that from a pub and you have a much more convivial place. Hurry up, please. It's time. Well, before we let you go, Dave, we must recap this incredible pub. It's honest. It's somewhat influenced by the champion in Oxford Circus. And it really is a slathering of the gravy of life. <laughs> it has Guinness unadulterated and mulled wine all year round. It has Archimedes red wine from the family Coppola. It has Viognier and Plymouth Gin, Mount Gay Rum, because of its versatility, it also features a sommelier who owns an Indian restaurant in New York that one night, when New York was shut down, you found it to be open and you found their welcome to be warm. Uh, on the jukebox, the Holloways, so this is Great Britain, and also Pomaine from the House of Bulmer. <laughs> 
Your dream pub companion remains a secret for those who know. And you have barred Notefold Cockery. Before we name this pub, Dave, tell us about your tour. Where can people see you and what can they expect from the show? Uh, the, The tour is called PowerPoint to the People. It is me doing PowerPoint uh, to give you a sense of it without spoiling anything. If you haven't seen what I do before and you hear that it's PowerPoint, I know that creates a certain image. Uh, And people associate PowerPoint with boring business use. And in normal business use, if someone taught you how to do PowerPoint, they'd say, you must have no more than 12 slides. People cannot cope with more than 12 slides. Uh, my show has 850 slides. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It's two hours, no support, just me. One hour, break, another hour, and I rattle through basically a slide every eight seconds. So it's a kind of very fast-paced, moving couple of hours of an evening. And you can find out all about it in really obvious places, like if you took my name and put .com on the end, that would get you there. Oh, fantastic. Well, the tour starts... Pretty much, what date does it start, Dave? Um, it's, a, it's a very good question. I think September the 10th, something of that order. Um, September through to mid-November, basically. So Google it. Look it up in your minds. Dave Gorman's tour, PowerPoint to the People. But Dave, what are we calling this pub? I'm calling it something which I, I found out about this thing a couple of years ago. And when I heard the phrase, I thought, that sounds like a pub and it's been hanging around in my head as a thing that sounds a bit like a pub ever since. And it's the calming goat. <laughs> oh, I like that. So there's a, a slightly disappointing children's film called Ferdinand, uh, which is about bullfighting. It's about a bull who doesn't want to fight and who rescues some other bulls from their fate and so on. Fun fact, Elliot Smith had a tattoo of Ferdinand the Bull. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) I think it's probably from a children's book first, and I don't know if his tattoo is based on the children's book or the film. I don't know. Maybe there's greater affection for the book. I've only seen the film, and one of the characters is the Calming Goat. I think their name's Lupe or something like that, the Calming Goat. And when they said, it's the Calming Goat, there was something in it that made you go, that must be an actual thing. (laughs) They, they wouldn't have just invented a thing called the calming goat in this. So I then Googled calming goat and skittish horses are put in the company of a goat. No way. And it calms them down. Wow. And so it sounds like a pub already. The calming goat sounds like a, a name of a pub to me. But also, I would like skittish people to feel becalmed in my pub. I'd like it to act as a calming goat does to a skittish horse. That is the atmosphere I would like to create. And also, if you're a local, if you're a regular at the calming goat, when you were leaving or you were talking to your mates and you were arranging a date or whatever, you're going to end up calling it the goat, aren't you? I'll see you down the goat. I'll see you at the goat, 8.30, all right? That's what's going to become its kind of nickname. It'll be the goat. And in modern parlance, what does goat mean greatest of all time? Oh, there are layers upon layers here. Wheels within wheels. Yeah. Stunning. Well, what a superb name and also what a superb goal for a pub to have, to be a calming presence and to be the greatest of all time. I think so. 
Well, Dave Gorman, we thank you so much for visiting the Moon Underwater this evening. We wish you all the best with your tour, PowerPoint to the People, and we thank you for some superb choices and best of luck shuffling between the realms. To play you out, you can have a song from So This Is Great Britain. What would you like a little burst of? Um, I will... I will, actually, I will go with the title track, which is not as well known as Jane Trader, but I will go with So This Is Great Britain. It's got some lovely lyrics. So this is Great Britain and welcome aboard a sinking ship that's full of shit and someone's nicked the oars. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of naive poetry the world needs. Like that's what, that's what rock music ought to be, like sort of naive and a bit juvenile and a bit tub-thumpy all at the same time. And it's a, you can pretend you're younger and angry at the same time. Before being calmed by the goat. Yeah. Well, to play Dave Gorman out, we have So This Is Great Britain by The Holloways. Bye-bye. So this is Great Britain and welcome aboard A sinking ship that's full of shit and someone's nicked the oars With failing false economies and anti-punk autonomy Our once unique identity's been washed from our shores This is Great Britain and these are our hearts 